and welcome to a new episode of the In Their Own League podcast. I am your host for today, Rosa, and for this episode, we're going to be doing Sundance coverage. Um, lucky for us, our representative to be covering the Sundance on behalf of Idol um, is accompanying me today, um, Morgan, Morgan Roberts. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, Rosa, thanks so much for um, doing this with me. No problem. No, you've done such an incredible job uh, covering Sundance with interviews and written reviews. And on top of that, you have to watch movies and just juggling everything, Um, which brings me to this is your first (laughs) Sundance Film Festival. And I just wanted to gather your your quick thoughts as to your experience, um, likes, dislikes um, and all the good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, well, um... It was all virtual, so that was kind of a trip. Um, but I certainly enjoyed it. And I it was nice to kind of be able to actually eat in between watching movies. And if I wanted to get more than like a couple hours of sleep, because I could just close the computer and hop right into bed kind of thing. So that was really nice. Um, yes. Yeah, but you've been to Park City before. Yes, uh, last year was my first time <laughs> ever attending a film festival in person, and it happened to be Sundance. And I, I was also lucky enough to to do it on behalf of, of In Their Own League. And yeah, certainly <laughs> pros and cons uh, to the in-person experience comparison to uh, the virtual. And I think that's that's one of the big differences uh, that you can watch more films because uh, you don't have to be running around to different theaters. You don't have to be catching uh, any shuttles and you don't have to be freezing yourself <laughs> while yeah. doing so. Um, so. So that was certainly a nice uh, welcome um, change into this virtual uh, uh, festival experience but overall I think Sundance did an excellent job it did very well um, capturing that Sundance uh, uniqueness to it with the oh, intros yeah, yeah 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 with the intros and then the, the, the Native American um, intro and adding that little uh, touch of interviewing the director of the film that you were about to watch and then them giving you a few words here and there that that was kind of a nice touch that I I did greatly appreciate it yeah um, same because I've yeah. only been to one film at a film festival uh-huh. um, I went to the New York Film Festival in 2018 18 to go see the Ballad of Buster Scruggs mm. and um, you know they kind of followed that format where the director and if there's cast members they all come out and kind of introduce the film yeah. and then leave and then come back at the end for a Q&A so it was kind of nice that they had that familiar um, festival vibe to it with like you know someone's introducing the film then they let the director kind of say a few words or depending on the director many words before you hop into the film and then they had those live q a's afterwards where um if you got to watch a film like on demand the day after the premiere um Mm -hmm. you're still able to watch those q a's which was kind of nice to get some additional context to some of the films as well 
Yes, yes, that's that's something very uh, something I, I really do appreciate um, because of course, as an audience, you're gonna interpret the film in a particular way. Uh, but I think it's also nice uh, to see where the director was coming from and mm-hmm. what inspired them and, and, and their input, um, their lens into making uh, their respective project. Um, so yes, we, we're, we're like, just like I said, we're gonna be talking about uh, the Sundance coverage, what we watched, um, we're gonna try to talk about as many films as, as we can. Um, wait, how many films did you get to watch? I got through 25. feature films and I watched all 50 short films wow okay I didn't watch any of the short films I'm ashamed to admit it um some of them were really good yeah some of them were painful oh yeah but I think that that happens all the time you're gonna find things that you don't connect with yes Yes, very true. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the subject to video film. So, so nothing to be um, too ashamed of. Uh, yes, I, I did not get the opportunity to to do any shorts. Uh, I need to get better at that, though. I need to start <laughs> expanding my, my range of, of film uh, filmography and such. Uh, so yes, we're going to try and discuss as many films as we can. Uh, I think we're, we can start um, with perhaps the films that really didn't, that just simply were not for us. Uh, It does not necessarily mean these are bad films whatsoever. It just means they're just not our cup of tea and that's perfectly fine. (laughs) Um, So I don't know if you want to start with one of the films that uh, just did not work for you at this festival. Um, So one of those films, which surprisingly worked for everyone else, except for me, was CryptoZoo. You know what? You and I are on the same boat. That film did not work for me either. Yeah, it just was, I think I called it relentlessly cynical. And like, there was nothing to like draw. It's an animated film Mm -hmm. about a Jurassic Park-like amusement park that houses cryptids which are like mythical creatures right like bigfoot or yeti or um mothman that's my personal favorite cryptid um and it just yeah it just felt extremely violent there was a lot of like sex scenes and like a purely sexual harassment scene that was supposed that was kind of played off as like this is a joke and it just didn't work for me in mm-hmm. many many ways what about yeah um i'm i'm right there with you the, this film certainly was not not mm-hmm. uh, down my lane and i think i described it as the animated adult version of fantastic beasts um and I think the, 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 the violence was something that did not sit well with me. And there was also, like you just said, there was a lot of these adult themes uh, that, again, it just did not work for me. I, however, I have seen a lot of people that have uh, like it. They, they just raving reviews about it. And again, it's not necessarily uh, are we saying that 
for us. Um, but yes, it's certainly <laughs> quite down my list, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad. I'm glad it worked for other people. And eh, I'm pretty sure we're, 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 um, we've got more to come in our top 10 favorites of, of the oh, festival. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What about, um, what's one that you were like, this one just is not my cup of tea? Yes. Okay. I am gonna lose followers for this. And rightfully so. It is perhaps the most disappointing experience for me. And that's the world to come. (laughs) Oh, no. See, I love the world to come. But what were your, what are the things about it that you didn't quite like? Yes. So the world to come uh, for me was, I mean, it's visually gorgeous. It's a period piece. It's something that uh, genre that I always organically gravitate towards. So I was already excited uh, to watch it just simply because it's a period piece. And then you add these uh, names, Vanessa Kirby and and, and all these well-known actors not only well-known, but but they're great at their craft. Um, so again, more more pumped up. So I start watching it. And I think the what what f- the first red flag for me was the <laughs> the overvoice narration uh, did not work for me. It was too much. Mm. And then I'm not entirely sure if it was the script uh, or perhaps the acting, not entirely sure where I can pinpoint it, but towards the end of the movie, I did not care about any of these characters and the relationship, and again, this is just me, um, between the two uh, leading ladies, I didn't feel anything. I, I didn't believe anything. The end where it was supposed to hit me, where it was supposed to make me care because of the way it ends, um, it didn't do anything for me because I was not invested whatsoever. So it, it was for me just a, a disappointment. A disappointment and I was su- slightly surprised uh, when I posted it on, on Twitter. I posted my, my initial thoughts uh, to see that there was a other few people that <laughs> kind of related to, to what I was trying to say and, and how I interpreted the film. But again, yeah. <laughs> it just did not work for me. Yeah, I know a lot of people had criticisms about the amount of um voiceover but Mm -hmm. I think the cat so the Catherine Waterston character is kind of our narrator for it and she is like a much more like introverted reserved character Mm -hmm. don't think that we would have been able to fully understand her blossoming affection for Tally the Vanessa Kirby character if we didn't have those voiceovers Okay. And so just as someone who tends to run a little bit more on the introverted slide, sliding scale, mm-hmm. um, kind of seeing that as like represented was really refreshing. And then I know for me, my major criticism, I again, I loved the film, but yeah. one thing that took me out quite a bit was the score. Ooh. I just felt like it was really a misplaced score like it didn't really fit like the time period that we were supposed to be in all the time like sometimes it would fit sometimes it just was super chaotic and just kind of would take me out of the film for a little bit because I'm like Mm -hmm. why are we using so much like saxophone or clarinet here like I just don't why are these woodwinds being used so loudly right now yeah Um, yeah. so 
as someone who really enjoyed the film, that was something that took me out from time to time. But I also found that people loved the score so much, which I found really interesting that that was kind of the one thing that took me out of the moment, you know, when we're watching Mm -hmm. Tally have to survive a blizzard kind of thing. I'm like, okay, but like this music just doesn't do it for me. Interesting. I, I, I didn't love the score either. It did not bother me um, too much, though. Um, but I can see. I, I can see where you're yeah. coming from. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it feels like I remember seeing Jackie a few years ago. Mm. And that was another film where everyone loved the score, but I didn't because it yeah. kept pulling me out of like what Natalie Portman was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was in another theater watching a different movie and I heard the music through the wall and I was like that's it it was the score that I didn't Uh, like in that film so I've been like I don't know very in tune to how the music is making me feel in movies yeah that's interesting Uh, yeah interesting interesting. I really loved the world to come yeah I'm sorry I disappointed (laughs) (laughs) well it wasn't your cup of tea that just means that I get to watch it more Exactly. Yes. I'm glad you enjoyed it, which again, uh, kudos, kudos to the film. Um, yes. What's another film that d- was did not work for you? Oh, Rosa, John and the Hole. <laughs> I have not been able to see that film. I didn't watch it. Oh, After my gosh. Seeing everything and all the reactions. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I think terrible. I can take a step back. <laughs> really? I I got to talk with Matt at Next Best Picture about it. And it was primarily me and Eric Anderson from um, Awards Watch just going like, this film is horrible. Like it just, the interesting part of the film is this boy puts his whole family in an an abandoned like fallout shelter Mm -hmm. and like leaves them there. And the interesting part is his family trying to like figure out how to get out of the hole why the heck their son and brother put them in the hole how are they going to survive dependent upon this little psychopath but that was maybe about like 15 to 20 minutes of the film the rest of it is you're watching this privileged skinny white boy who how did he get his entire family into the hole is my main question He should have broken someone's neck, should have broken someone's back, should have broken his own back. Then they make it seem like they're only in there for two days. So I'm like, why is everyone freaking out? It's 48 hours. But he's making huge withdrawals from the bank. Why didn't the bank freeze the card? The bank would have froze the card if you're taking out multiple huge amounts of money out at an ATM mm-hmm. multiple times in a day, they're, the bank, banks are like, oh, red flag, shut that down. Nope, that didn't happen. This kid looked like he was 12 and was driving his dad's car. And I was like, someone had to have pulled him over. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Every part of it was preposterous. <laughs> and the way that it ended was just, there was no satisfaction whatsoever. Like they could have even given us a little bit more in that ending and I wouldn't be as violently mad about it. Uh-huh. But they didn't. 
and instead my blood is boiling oh it was horrible but you know what saved yourself you saved yourself from the agony of john in the hole that's good to hear mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not that you had to suffer on behalf of me um but that I was able <laughs> not, not to experience this because it sounds quite bad um so so the the, the narrative of the story is just about following this kid who just throws yeah. his family into a hole and that's it yeah like it's just oh. like white privilege the film okay. and it's yeah we already have enough of those and they're more compelling <laughs> Yeah, you said Terrible. it, not me. I just agree with it. <laughs> yes, I said it. Me, Morgan, that is my <laughs> film opinion. Yeah. Terrible. Nice. But in a great cast, too. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it even more disappointing, is all these really good people who can be in some really good projects were given nothing. Yeah. Uh, so that's my <sighs> anger. That's the one that really pissed me off <laughs> wow yeah i can see why any others that you saw that just i think that that just i mean <laughs> it, it's gonna be a film that a lot of people again they they love um but again it, it was just not uh for me and that's <laughs> prisoners of the ghost land <laughs> Um, oh the Nicolas Cage one see that's why I didn't watch oh you didn't watch it I Uh uh-huh very controversial but I do not like Nick Cage I'm sure he's a nice person I don't Mm -hmm. like his films yeah yeah I I wasn't uh, too fond of of this film uh I don't know I, I don't know how I feel about Nick Cage. I don't think he's one of my favorites, but I don't think he's. Uh, if I see his name uh, on the film, does it automatically mean I'm not going to watch it? No, probably not, because I, I sat through this. Um, but <laughs> it, it's it's one of those films that it has in multiple uh, genres blended within the movie. And of course, uh, it's a lot of action, a lot of uh, gruesome violence. And it's a movie, again, that did not work for me. Uh, everybody's talking about Nick's Cage testicle um, that just, <laughs> oh, oh my no. God. <laughs> it, has the, it, it takes place in Japan and it has a lot of Western um, vibes uh, into it. And it's just one of those movies that towards the end, I think it's one of those flicks that if you're a huge fan of Nicolas Cage and you love to see him um, going all out and just like losing complete control of himself, this film's going to be just right for them. Um, It's just a movie that, although I understand some of the themes that it was trying to talk about, uh, particularly after uh, the atomic bomb when uh, off in, in Japan, and how society and, and Japanese have been trying to uh, move past that, but at the same time, how the United States um, influence is also within it. So in that sense, I thought that was more interesting to watch. But overall, at the end of the movie, I was like, what was the whole point of this? It, it, it wasn't, I didn't feel like there was any real purpose to it like I came out of it again if you're just going under for entertainment and just the action and the violence then this is probably down right down their alley 
Um, but like on a more, I don't want to say like knowledgeable or, or anything like that. I just didn't, the movie didn't leave me with anything um, other than just disgust and then just not disgust, but I'm not huge on, on lots of violence and, and seeing all the blood splatting everywhere. And I am when it like, when it serves a purpose to the narrative mm-hmm. uh, but in this case it's evident it's just there just for the flash and just for the action just to um just to be there just to entertain yeah. people yeah so yeah, yeah it certainly. didn't work for me i understand though why a lot of people like it and, and so on and so forth but uh, again not for me <laughs> yeah well what were some films that were for you though because i know that Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of films, both feature yeah, so, and short films that don't yes. aren't as engaging. But yeah, um, so yeah, moving on to something more positively <laughs> and more um, more down our alley, I was able to watch thirty three films. So seriously, out of the thirty three films, I can um, certainly say that only five or six of them just did not completely work for me. Um, the rest either were good and okay or were films that I entirely loved. Um, some that I thought were okay uh, because uh, um, I was covering the festival for uh, Latinx Lens, uh, which of course everybody knows um, I'm very big on Latinx representation and I'm very big on representation in general, uh, hence why I'm here in, in Idol as well for female representation, which by the way, um, sorry, I'm going a little bit off tangent here. Yeah. I was very pleasantly surprised, not surprised, but pleased with the amount of female-centric narratives and the amount of female-directed films. Yeah, me too. I love that. It was really nice to see a lot of films directed by women, about women. Yes. Um, And, you know, even some that, like, might have been directed by men there was still really good like female representation in most of those films yes um yes and I I was so pleased with that and Mm -hmm. and of course naturally we're gonna well we tend to gravitate towards those stories because we we can either try to relate to it or maybe it does hit us um we are able to relate to to these stories and and so on and so forth but also to support <laughs> support female centric stories we do want them we do need female directors to be making and telling our stories mm-hmm. um Absolutely. so one of those films that uh really did uh, leave an impact is a brazilian film called the pink cloud um I was also a bit, uh, this one I was surprised to see a few films that do deal uh, with pandemic or epidemic uh, scenarios, Mm -hmm. even though they were made prior (laughs) to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And The Pink Cloud is certainly one of them. So uh, this Brazilian film uh, follows a couple that they have like a one night stand and then one day they wake up and there's a pink cloud that's taken over the entire world. And if you inhale it or you breathe anything, you like instantly die within 10 seconds. So you have to stay inside the house. Um, and it, it looks, it explores the, 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 psycholo- the psychology of it and, and how it went um 
I, I was, again, genuinely surprised by how accurately it depicted uh, how our everyday lives uh, give a 360, uh, going all virtual. We had to just, we can only communicate with family members through Zoom. We can only communicate um, with the outside world through technology mm -hmm. and how technology is very important um, in, in, in this case. So Overall, it's certainly a movie that's it's beautifully shot also. It's just the pink clouds and everything that, that's um, outside of, of, of the house um, or the apartments in this case. It's very gorgeous to look at. And that movie left me a bit grateful <laughs> that this pandemic it isn't as extreme <laughs> as mm -hmm. the pink cloud uh, I can actually walk outside and 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 breathe in the fresh air it made me appreciate of every uh, appreciate what we do have um, instead of making me complain about those things that I'm not allowed to do so it's yeah. certainly a movie that I do highly recommend if somebody picks it up um, certainly worth watching because it, it's certainly an eye-opener um, and it's well acted the, the, the two characters uh, two main characters just give great performances particularly our female um, actress who you can see the evolution of when you're for, first locked in of course you have a male companion so it's going to be all lovey lovey roby barbie um, but then you do start see the frustration and you do see the evolution of okay now i'm stuck in this house with this person i don't want to see you and then you start to start seeing the psychology process and how it affects them on, on various levels which i thought was fascinating um, to watch but yes the pink cloud uh, it's certainly a movie that it really, really, uh, sit, it was able to sit well with me. That's awesome. I missed that one. So I will add that to my watch list. Yes, hopefully, hopefully it does get acquired and, and it gets a wider release. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's one of the films that was able to sit well with you? Well, one film that I really enjoyed that I don't think a lot of people really did was How It Ends um, with Zoe Lister-Jones and Kaylee Spanny. Um, Spaney. Um, it was basically Zoe Lister-Jones's character, they know that the world is ending because there's a giant asteroid coming to Earth. And so it kind of gets to allow you to have some of those existential fears that we have because yeah. we're in a pandemic without it being about the pandemic, which is kind of nice because Obviously, we've been almost an entire year just enclosed in our homes in pandemic mindset. Right. So to have those anxieties kind of explored without really making it about the pandemic was nice. So Lister Jones um, is essentially followed by her younger self, played by Kaylee Spaney, and um, they decide to kind of meet up with people um, to essentially get closure mm -hmm. before the world ends. And it's really interesting because, you know, like you, she goes to see her dad, she goes to see her mom, she goes to try to make a, amends with an old friend that she had. She goes to confront an ex-boyfriend. She runs into people kind of also doing their own like this is the last day on earth 
thing and this is how I'm coping and seeing that. And there's one line where she runs into Colin Hanks, who used to be on the TV show Life in Pieces with her. And she's talking with him and he goes, oh, it sounds like you're on an existential scavenger hunt. And I really liked that line and kind of framing the film that way because that's kind of what it was it was she's trying to come to terms with all of the different pieces of herself and her life before Mm -hmm. it ends and there are some amazing cameos in it um olivia wilde is in there as an old friend of hers and her comedic timing is genius um she had me like cackling alone in my apartment just watching her performance it was so much fun um and what's interesting was the film was shot during the pandemic so most of the film takes place outside so that people can socially distance and like um there aren't a lot of people in the same scene together they really try to space people out it It's really interesting just the way that they, uh, the filmmakers tackled um, filmmaking during a pandemic. So it was really interesting. I highly enjoyed it. Nice. Um, Yes, I I had the chance to watch it. I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. But I I did appreciate that the concept of incorporating your younger self in it It is something that um, getting that visual representation of it had never actually crossed my mind. And and to see it, um, to see it in this film was certainly a a, something that that did catch my attention. Um, But I, I mean, it's Again, this is all me, and it's the cameos were also nice to look at, and and just to see what it does put put you in that place or in that mindset to consider. Oh yeah, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end in the next mm-hmm. twenty four hours? And then so it's something you normally don't think about. Well, we probably have in the past year, but <laughs> yes. um, but but certainly something to think about. Yeah, to me, it was just like, okay, it's a good film. Um, but but that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. But it's certainly a solid film. So I, yeah. I'm glad you you had a good time with it. Yeah, what are some other films that you enjoyed? Yeah. Okay, so let me see. Oh my god, there's so many. I can talk so about many. all of these. Yes, there's so many. Um, let me see. I'm pretty sure we're gonna talk about this one later on, so I'll leave that for later. <laughs> um oh man. What about like features, not like documentaries? That's what I noticed. On my mm-hmm. list, there's a good deal of documentaries. Uh, yeah. They, I don't know if they were the strongest of, of the festival, but it's certainly uh, the ones that I did enjoy the most. Yeah. Um, features, I think um, Mayday. Uh, Mayday was certainly a movie that... Again, it's uh, a movie that when movies that take place like during war war films or period pieces are always my cup of tea. So to see the movie, um, it was very how can I say it? 
it was a bit different <laughs> than what I was expecting because yeah. uh, it does have this different uh, I don't know like a different dimension or more of a different world like Wizard of Oz kind of thing or Alice in Wonderland uh, kind of narrative to it that I thoroughly enjoy I was not expecting uh, to enjoy it a lot and I think the reason why I enjoy it a lot was Mia Goth's performance oh yeah my. I agree with you there her performance was stellar yes I was like wow what can this woman not do um I, I just loved, loved, loved everything she did in this film. Um, this film, certainly, the score certainly worked well for me as well. And mm-hmm. again, as, as, as a woman, it was nice to see a, a group of women uh, fighting and, and trying to survive and, and doing their own thing um, within the film. So certainly a movie that I unexpectedly enjoy. I thought it was going to be a more slow. I, I tend to be very patient <laughs> with slow films. So when I, when I complain about the pace, it must, it's either, uh, tonally, uh, not coherent or it's just very, 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 very slow, which I thought this movie was going to be, but no, I, I was able to, um, stay uh, intrigued and focused in the film and i very much enjoyed it enjoyed yeah. my day a lot yeah yeah what did you think i i mean i liked it i thought it was a little bit too slow slow yeah little, yeah it was kind of hard to stay engaged with it and i think the other thing is when you have because it had like alice in wonderland meets peter pan meets the wizard of oz and that kind of got a little redundant after a while. And so I think if we, it had just kind of focused just a touch more, then Mm -hmm. it would have been a fantastic film, but it just kind of let itself be a little bit too loose. And I think that that's kind of where it lost me. But I mean, Mia Goth kept me paying attention the whole time. So kudos to her. Yes. Absolutely. She certainly runs away with this film. And mm-hmm. I seriously cannot wait to see what she does next. Because oh, yeah. I'm hooked. Um, officially, I'm a golf fan. <laughs> yes. Um, so for our top 10, top 10 favorite films of, of Sundance, um, these are the films that were really, really, they either left a great impact or we just absolutely adored. Um, what's your number 10? I think my number 10 is probably hmm let me see because I'm looking at all of my scores too um (laughs) yeah probably Rebel Hearts I really enjoyed that documentary Mm. it's a really sweet documentary about um the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart of Mary in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles who essentially went toe-to-toe with the um, bishop, bishop, no, cardinal. I don't know what they are. I tried learning, but yeah, sorry, Catholics. I don't know. Um, but it was really, um, yeah, it was surprisingly hopeful which I was kind of expecting to just be mad the whole time because it is about a group of women who ultimately 
things don't a hundred percent go their way. Like it's not a fairy tale story where they tear down the patriarchy for us. Like they have to kind of pivot a bit. And um, even though there was that pivot, they still managed to keep the film really hopeful and Mm -hmm. really endearing. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, Rubble Hearts was certainly a movie I did not um, catch. Uh, I was not able to see it, uh, but it was on my list. I'm just so upset I didn't get the opportunity to watch it. Um, but I'm glad. I'm glad it made your top 10. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, if, if it gets a wider release, it's something I'll be looking forward to. Absolutely. I hope you do. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, my number 10 is... Again, uh, my, my, my top 10 are going to be primarily documentaries, just a heads up. Um, so I'm going to start off with the documentary. Uh, my name is Polly Murray. <laughs> oh, yay. Oh, my. I love how they have the description here. It says, you may not know her name, but you live in Polly's legacy. And how true is that? Uh, somebody I certainly do not know anything about. Uh, and when you inspire someone like RBG, then there's something about you that must certainly be um, important and significant <laughs> uh, in terms as a person and influence in politics. So yes, Polly Murray, it's a... Um, she was a, a lawyer, a, a black activist, feminist, poet. She at one point was a priest. Um, she did so much. Uh, she was a, a woman who certainly was a trailblazer uh, for uh, women in, in politics and for human uh, civil rights, for human rights in general. Yeah. And in terms of human rights, human rights in terms of civil rights for, for black people, but also civil rights for women, uh, civil uh, human rights for the LGBTQ community in in terms whatever you can think of um, she certainly has something to do with it and certainly she was ahead of her time uh, with with feminism and dismantling racism and to see that she uh, brought up and and she came up with these uh, proposals to desegregate um, so many um, areas like the bus, uh, seg- trying to do that before years and decades before Rosa Parks um, did something about it. And, and just to see everything she had done, it infuriates me again that it takes documentaries like these um, to once again remind me of the erasure of so many women and their contribution into society and to these minority groups because it's it's very unfortunate that we didn't know about her in school uh certainly a name that should have been in any textbook that should be in any textbook Mm -hmm. um that a lot of kids should know about Uh, not only is she important in terms of her significance in, in society and everything she was able to incorporate but she can certainly be an, an inspiration and motivation to so many young kids, so many young kids that um, don't see themselves represented <laughs> in, in these textbooks, that don't see themselves represented either in, in television or film or anything like that. So it's, 
again, this is certainly one of those movies that I was very uh, pleasantly surprised and happy to learn about. And a woman, a, a woman who certainly paved the way uh, for so many women in politics that are currently uh, succeeding because of uh, the foundation that she built. So I hope, uh, I'm not entirely sure um, I'm going to have to apologize because I don't keep up with, with acquisitions of these movies or anything like that. Uh, so I hope it does get picked up and, and people get the opportunity to watch this because uh, Polly Murray certainly is somebody uh, who deserves uh, to be known out there. Yeah, no, uh, that film is also on my list and I'll talk more, a little <gasps> bit more about it when it shows up Perfect. on my list. But yes, I... Um, Julie Cohen and Betsy West, who directed it, also directed yes. RBG, which was another fantastic documentary film. So we love, I mean, I personally love them both for uh, the stories that they're telling and um, really appreciate their eye for people that are either forgotten by history or, you know, are kind of misrepresented by history or, mm-hmm. you know, we look at a blip of their history, you know, like someone as powerful as RBG, you know, we saw little bits of it, but they really kind of opened the door for us to be able to see who Ruth Bader Ginsburg really was. So. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see. So my number nine film, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume also appears somewhere on your list uh-huh. is uh, Rita Moreno, just the girl who decided to go for it. Of course it's on my list. <laughs> of course it's on your list. Um, absolutely. I mean, I loved it. I love Rita Moreno. I think she's an incredible performer. And I think that she's done so much for, you know, women of color because there are so many people, not just, you know, Latinas, Hispanic women who mm-hmm. see her, but like, you know, she paved a way for other people to say, hey, I want to be seen by myself, not by Rita Moreno having to portray the quote unquote ethnic character because Hollywood is too lazy to try to make sure that they have Asian people playing Asian characters. Um, You know, that Asian is also this hugely diverse continent with very many different ethnicities that are not to be boiled down to just one person. And then also being able to play Anita in West Side Story and actually be a Puerto Rican playing a Puerto Rican, unlike a certain non-Puerto Rican playing Maria. But, um, (laughs) you know, like that, she really was just such a trailblazer and a titan and was not quiet about it either which I think is one of those things is we're like, oh, look at all these accomplishments that someone might have, but they did it so quietly. Like Rita Morana was not quiet about her accomplishments. She was like, look at these awesome things that I'm doing. And also maybe think a little bit further than just putting me in, you know, the supporting actress category because my character on this Broadway show was the lead of it so thanks so much for the Tony but like do better next time thank you so much like she really has always been someone who not only is grateful for opportunity but then is vocal about saying 
this opportunity needs to be better. So I loved it, loved her. Um, I know that you will talk about it later. (laughs) Yes, yes. She's a bit up higher on my list. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll be getting into her when when she she pops up. But I agree. I agree with everything you're saying. And I'm really glad that, that you got to enjoy it. Yeah. What's your number nine? Yes, my number nine is a movie that uh, has not been getting a lot of uh, attention and a movie that those who have seen it haven't necessarily uh, given it the, uh, any uh, praising reviews. Um, but yes, my number nine is Hive. Um, it's perhaps one of the few non-documentary films on my Ooh. list. And it it's, follows a woman. Um, I don't want to mispronounce her name. Um, but she, her husband um, has been missing since the war in Kosovo. And she decides to um, build her own small business and for her to survive and provide for her family, for her kids, um, her, for her father-in-law. But of course, patriarchal society, uh, it's going to make it quite difficult for her. Uh, So it it follows her uh, in in her attempt to to create this business, to uh, incorporate other women uh, who have also either uh, are widows or also have missing uh, either husbands or sons within the war as well. So she, she's part of this, um, it's like a support group for, for all these women uh, who are being directly affected by the war. And it, it's a movie that's inspirational, very much motivational. And to see a woman, uh, particularly in a country that's um, very much patriarchal, misogynistic, where women aren't supposed to be working. They're, they're just, uh, they only have one purpose in life. And that's just to uh, have a family, raise your family and, and do as you're told pretty much. So to see the narrative and to realize that it's based on true events, it, it's certainly a powerful um, story to tell. And Again, I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the criticism towards the film it's the pace. Again, mm-hmm. it works for me. It is a slow. It's a character driven film. Uh, it does take you to different uh, levels of of um, during her life and everything she has to overcome and everything she has to face, all while trying to raise her kids, all while taking care of her father in law, and all while having the ghost of of, of her husband's um, in the back of her head and and mm-hmm. living with that thought every single day. Whether you know what is he dead? Is he not dead? Is he? Um, what's going on with not knowing exactly what, what's happening yeah. um it, it's certainly a movie that i i highly recommend watching it and um it, it's a movie that it, it it's of course very much um shot in a realistic um environment so you have a lot of handheld camera uh, shots here, a lot of visual representation in terms of it does take place in, in, in a lot of hills. So you get that dynamic of superiority and and and, and patriarchal uh, visual representation on who's who's supposed who's the higher position and all that good stuff that I very much appreciated watching. Um, and again, a movie that powerful story uh based on true events and I, I hope a lot of people do do get the opportunity to see it um but again for warning it's not a, an action-packed movie or anything like that it's, it is a movie about this woman and what she has to um, endure and encounter um as she tries to just survive and provide yeah. for her family yeah 
Yeah. It, I didn't get to catch it, but it did win a whole bunch of awards at the award ceremony. Oh, perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to, to, to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your number eight? Number eight is um, Passing. The ah. directorial debut of Rebecca Hall. Um, it was one where I watched it and I had some initial thoughts on it. And then as I kept watching additional films, I just kind of kept going back to that film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about two women played by Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega, who Tessa Thompson's character, it, they're both Black women. Um, but because they're light-skinned Black women, um, they could pass as white. And Tessa Thompson's character chooses to pass from time to time out of convenience, mm-hmm. where Ruth Nega's character has decided to pass as white from a you know early age, you know, kind of at the start of her adulthood. And they end up reconnecting and it starts to unfold the story about what is race, what is one's responsibility to, mm-hmm. you know, your um, community. What does it mean to be part of a community? Um, what is privilege? What is white privilege? What are the things that then come or are taken away with that? Um, there's yeah. some discussion about um, sexuality and gender roles and it's one of those films so I did find out that it did get acquired by Netflix um, so I'm really excited that it's going to be seen by a wider audience and that I can watch it over and over and over again because it is such a layered piece that um, I don't think on a first watch you're going to pick up on all of the little eccentricities of the film Hmm. and um it's shot in black and white it was probably the most sophisticated film at Sundance like Rebecca Hall is the daughter of um Maria Ewing who is an opera singer who comes from a background of um black people who pass you know choose to pass as white Mm-hmm. Um, and then her father was Sir Peter Hall, who was a really respected theater director in the UK. And so she has this, you know, personal lineage um, tie to the piece. And then she just has the genetic predisposition to be one heck of a director. And it was, Again, like I go into Sundance assuming that I'm just going to see a whole lot of um, really experimental stuff, kind of like yeah. CryptoZoo or John in the Hole. But like this yeah. one felt like the most polished work at the entire festival. So um, that I, I highly recommend watching it once it does come out on Netflix because it's a very impressive piece. Yeah. Um, 
Yes, I echo every sentiment you just mentioned. It is also on my list, just slightly bit higher, uh, not by much, but certainly up there. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably talk about it just a little bit more because I don't think there's really anything else I need yes. I can add to it. Um, but so it's funny most, that, that we're yeah. sharing a lot of these yeah. uh, moving on our lists. So what's your number eight then? Yes. So my number eight, I'm going back to the documentary aspect of of the uh, festival, is an Indian documentary called Writing with Fire. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. This film, I mean, oh, my God, I don't even know where to start. So the movie starts briefly giving a description of India's um, uh, social caste system. So um, according to the documentary, this caste system divides humans into, uh, of course, a social hierarchy of four different castes. You have priests, then you have warriors, you have traders, and then you have the laborers. Um, outside of this case system are the Dalits. I know I'm mispronouncing this and I really, really, really apologize for it. And who are considered so impure, uh, they are deemed untouchable and excluded from the case system. So, um, that this <laughs> documentary follows a Indians only newspaper run by Dalit, if you want to say it, women. So it's it's just completely run by women um, in a country that's very much patriarchal, misogynistic. And the documentary dives into how it first it gives you a little bit of a background on how uh, this news the, this newspaper, which eventually becomes like a, a news, um, it evolves into a news station and, and so on and so forth. And, oh my God, I have a dog outside that's barking. Um, and how that, uh, how these women have to go out there every single day and put their lives uh, at risk, uh, not only to possibly getting murdered, but being sexually harassed, uh, being okay. sexually abused. And um, to see this uh, unfold and, and see how much progression these women have made in, in, in India is, again, admirable, uh, inspirational, motivational. And it was one of my some uh, one of my anticipated films the moment I read the synopsis. It, it was, of course, it was down my alley. I want to see uh, what women are capable of doing, even though I myself as a woman know what we are <laughs> all mm-hmm. capable of doing. But to see it on a wider range and to see it in a society that isn't necessarily uh, embracing or approving of these practices, that women just being reporters and shining a light on some of these social injustices and um, pretty much on on just exposing corruption. And and they just go all out. And again, inspirational, motivational to watch unfold. And it's a documentary that I do hope again it gets picked up and a lot of people do get the opportunity to see it because again as women we view the world differently Uh, our experiences certainly shape our perceptions uh, what we want to focus on and a lot of these women when they do report when they do go out there to do interviews and such they do it uh, they interview uh, women within the community and trying to horn down. Uh, There was this one interview with one of the women, uh, one of the residents where 
she is testifying. That's another thing, it, it just warning because the, the description uh, does get quite, uh, it can be quite triggering uh, describing what a lot of these women experience. So what one of the interviews just, uh, it's interviewing a woman and she's just um, telling and testifying how literally every other day a man comes into her house and just rapes her. A group of men just come into her house and rape her. Um, they beat up her, her husband and they just do whatever they want with her. And because of course, there's no accountability. Uh, they don't suffer any consequences. They continue to do it. So what, what this newspaper and what, this, uh, what these women do is they try their best to go out there, uh, make a report to the police department and do whatever they can uh, to stop this. So you, you do see the obstacles and the challenges that uh, these women often encounter and it's a movie that I highly recommend watching because it's certainly not an easy watch um, it makes me realize of course uh, and it reminds me of my own uh, privilege and, and everything I'm able to do uh, mm -hmm. without having to walk out there and, and fear for my own life just for doing my own job yeah. so it's certainly one of those films that it is eye-opening um, but it's worth actual noting, uh, worth checking out. Absolutely. Yeah, that one did not make my list, but I was able to watch it. And it certainly Oh, you did see it? Yeah, it was a really fantastic. It was the last film that I watched at Sundance. Oh, uh, what did you think? Did I just... really enjoyed it. Really, okay. I mean, it was one of those films where it's like, this is really heavy stuff. I had to go get a snack in the middle of it so that I could continue to power through because you do need probably a comfort snack or two while you watch it but it mm -hmm. was pretty extraordinary to see those women yeah 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 absolutely all right so number seven number seven was a, another film that i caught on the last day what um but it was coda mm. um so CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults, and it's about a young woman who um, is a you know, hearing child of two deaf adults and also has a deaf brother. And one of her things is that she really wants to be a singer, but her family relies very heavily on her because she can kind of communicate with everyone else on their behalf. So um, I thought it was going to be kind of just like a ooey gooey feel good movie, which it was, but mm -hmm. it's extremely well acted. It does have Marley Matlin in it, who is fantastic as always. Um, and it's now going to be added to a list of movies with the dang song both sides now by Joni Mitchell that make me emotional so it's that and love actually that anytime now I'm gonna hear that song and think of those two films um but it's a really just heartwarming lovely film directed by a woman um you know that just is about you know, empathy and following our dreams. And yeah, it, it kind of took me by surprise, which is why I've added it to my list because I wasn't, I was expecting to just be like, okay, this is enjoyable, but, 
and it kind of just turned into a little bit more than just simply enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Coda was, was it the first film? I think it was. It, it was my, the film, the first film I watched at the festival. So I was at, uh, at the premiere per se, <laughs> if you can yeah. say that. Um, I also very much enjoyed it. It, it just nearly missed my, my top 10, but yeah. not, not by much. And yeah, I, I certainly, it's a movie that um, I very much enjoyed, love the story. Of course, it, it is formulaic, but the acting and the nuance of highlighting the deaf community certainly um, sets it aside from um, the feel-good stories, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was very happy to watch. <laughs> and again, this is just me being biased. Uh, Eugenio Derbez in there as the music teacher. Oh, he yeah. was just hilarious. He uh, was I just so good. <laughs> yeah, his comedic timing is on spot. And I was just cracking up with some of the uh, jokes he was telling. But I, I was able to just slightly, not nowhere near to what uh, Ruby's experience is, but and I was talking about this in, in, in a previous podcast with, with Latinx Lens, that the experience of, of, of uh, the main character certainly does resonate a lot uh, with my experience having to, um, being the daughter of, of immigrants and having mm-hmm. to translate everything uh, to, to my mother because she, she was fluent in English. So in that sense, I was very much able to um, resonate with, with her feelings and resonate with, with that idea that um family yeah. needs me otherwise we we can uh to communicate to to see particularly with um when you go to the doctor <laughs> kind of yeah, similar to say, what that happened was the in one this that, film that part really stuck out to me because I'm like yeah. can you imagine having to be 15 16 17 mm-hmm. years old going into a parent's doctor's appointment and having to like learn so much about your parents yeah. where you might not want to know that much about your parents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that certainly brought some some memories and as such. But overall, yeah, it's a great film and, and certainly one that I'm glad. I'm glad it got bought and that it's going to be able, uh, it's going to be available <laughs> for yeah. everyone else to see. Because it's certainly, there's a reason why I won a lot of the awards. Uh, yes. it, it's certainly a, a great film too, to look. Yeah. So what is your number seven? Yes. My number seven is a documentary um, called Homeroom. <laughs> Homeroom. Uh, it's a documentary. It's just following a group of high school students, seniors um, in Oakland High School, which is here in Oakland, California. Um, it's, part, it's more like northern central California. And it's a movie that, um, that follows a diverse group of students and their involvement in, in, in politics and, and their neighborhoods, um, the boards um, uh, within their community. And they start, <laughs> it started filming in 2019. So right before the pandemic hit. So the documentary literally uh, catches how the pandemic impacts uh, the, the senior class that didn't get the opportunity to graduate, that didn't get the opportunity to go to prom and, and do all this, uh, things that normally high school students um, uh, get to do during their senior year. So it, it's a movie that was very much inspirational um, to see represented, of course, uh, Mexican-Americans, particularly one student that really reminded me of my own um, upbringing was uh, a Mexican-American student who's the son of undocumented um, 
parents and just to see him navigate uh, his high school uh, high school experience and then um, they also catch on camera the, the 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 George Floyd incident and how they went out there uh, prepared them they, they they were able to um, do a, a march and his uh, hesitation to collaborate and, and to take part of it because of his immigration status uh, was something that certainly hit a core with me and 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 it was very much uh, again relatable um, but I mean it's certainly a documentary worth watching. Uh, pretty much just talks about the youth activism and their involvement within the community. And I think I've said it on my tweet. I've said it uh, in a few podcast episodes that I've been talking about this uh, documentary. If the future of politics are on the hands of these students, then the future certainly looks bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is one that I missed, but I heard great things about it. Yeah, yeah certainly good. Yes. So what is your number six? So my number six is one that we've talked about. Um, Mm -hmm. My name is Polly Murray. Um, Nice. Really loved it. Um, I think one of the things that also really struck me was the fact that Polly Murray, um, during their lifetime, went by she, her pronouns. But Mm -hmm. um, through Polly's writing, we've learned that Polly really didn't see themselves primarily as a woman and um, even wrote to doctors trying to look into hormone therapies and to see if, you know, maybe that they were intersex and had, um, you know, stereotypical biological parts of both men and women. And um, I really like the fact that the filmmakers chose to make that a pretty big part of the documentary of talking about Polly's understanding of their gender and understanding of their sexual orientation. Um, because I think that that really got lost in history. Like not only are they a person of color, but um, there's a lot about their life that, you know, due to homophobia and transphobia and all the other phobias, um, got lost and that the language wasn't there for Polly. And um, I hope that we can learn to be better and continue to be a better society and grow and be accepting of people when, um, because Polly's aunt, Aunt Pauline was super progressive and really accepted Polly for who Polly was and we all need to be more like Aunt Pauline. Because there's yes. too many garbage people in the world to uh, kind of combat with. So yeah, that, that's just kind of the one thing that I wanted to add on that film. But yeah, everything about Polly was so incredible. Yeah, she, she was, yeah, she was so ahead of her time. And uh, I was surprised also that the film actually did focus on it and, and how <laughs> how she would get this these these ideas and, and to yeah. go to the to the doctor and, and get these procedures done and check out what was going on or if there was anything wrong or anything um, like such. Yeah. It was certainly very impactful. Um 
and I'm glad I'm glad it's caught in mm-hmm. the documentary because now it's it's available out there for everybody yeah, um, yeah. fingers crossed it gets acquired hopefully 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 um what is your number six well, <laughs> again, similarities. Number six is one we already talked about, um, passing. <laughs> um, I'm telling you, we're like synchronized here. <laughs> <laughs> Loving it. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything more to add to what, what you were saying. I'm, I'm completely in total agreement with what you just previously said about the film. Um, I had not been... Um, I had not read the book uh, yes. it's adapted from, so I, I don't know. I, I went into this film um, not knowing what to expect. Uh, so I know that the engine is kind of left up to <laughs> open to interpretation, and it is certainly a, a topic of conversation. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but but I, I certainly do have my theories about it. Yeah, um, maybe maybe for a future podcast we can yes, go into our theories. Absolutely. Yes, we're going to schedule that as soon as we're done with this because we need to talk about that film. Um, But it's certainly, just like you said, it's such a beautiful film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something so visually appealing and just gorgeous to look at. And it it just, again, just like you said, it's not not even experimental. And it's a bit, for me, hard to believe that this is a directorial debut. Um, Yes, 100% agree. Like, it feels like this is someone's, you know, later in their career kind of yes. film. And it is Rebecca Hall's first movie yeah. behind the camera. Yep, yep. And I, I love that that it did explore uh, the different um, lenses and, and perspectives and in terms of passing. Again, I'm, <laughs> I have no, no not... I can't talk I'm on my third <laughs> cup of coffee and my brain is just like shooting everywhere um I don't think I have anything uh, else to add yeah. uh to to the topics particularly with passing something that I completely um nothing to to uh, to add or, or I've never experienced anything like oh, that yeah. so in, in terms of um the the acting um I enjoyed it I very much enjoyed uh the acting yeah. Uh, it's well written and how closely it follows the book again I have no idea so I might it actually did pick my interest to to read uh, what the book it's adapted from um, to see if, if there was any changes or not um, but overall great film certainly uh, I'm glad it got picked up and I can't wait can't wait for everybody else to see it and, and we can certainly have a, a podcast just on this film absolutely yeah all right. Moment of truth. Top five. Top five. <laughs> What's your number five? So my number five is a film called Son of Monarchs. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I really loved that film. Um, I talked with Alejandro Mejia, the cinematographer of the film, which yeah. I'm such a cinematography nerd. So I was like, please stop me if I turn into like Chris Farley of like, remember that time when you shot this specific thing in this film? That was awesome. Um, But I'm also historically terrified of butterflies. And I was so captivated Mm. by this film that if I could sit there and watch a film about butterflies when it is one of the things that I'm most afraid of in this world, then I think that you made it and crafted a pretty incredible film. So 
Um, I really loved it. I love that it doesn't show, you know, Mexicans and Mexican immigrants in a very whitewashed manner. It, you know, he, our main character is a scientist. He, you know, comes from, he has his own traumas, but they're not due to kind of, again, what white people assume people who leave Mexico have experienced. And, you know, you see Mexico in a way that's so beautiful and so wonderful that it's like, you know, uh, it was so refreshing to witness that in a way that, again, certain people decide to frame Mexico and Mexican culture in a way and we absolutely lost and diluted it. And so this was a really incredible reset on it. So Mm -hmm. that's my number five. Nice. Um, Obviously, I'm going to be talking about it later, (laughs) later, 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 later um time but I'm glad I'm glad you you watched it and you liked it um I'm certainly the perfect demographic this film is aimed towards um not only in terms of Latinx or Mexican in this case representation but scientific (laughs) community Mm -hmm. um as a Mexican or a Chicana scientist myself it certainly spoke to me on so many levels but I'll get into that later on (laughs) so then in the meantime what is your number five so my number five is another film um, that's very been brought up, and that's the Rita Moreno, just a girl who decided to go for it documentary. Um, yeah, this was my most anticipated film of, of the festival uh, when we got the email uh, with the lineup of films. Uh, as soon as I saw her name, I was like, all right, this is it. I have to watch uh, this documentary. And it's a movie that, oh, man, certainly... Uh, highlighting a living legend like Rita Moreno, who is um, an important uh, inspiration, an important trailblazer for so many Latinas that are currently working in the uh, industry and that are future Latinas as well. And to hear not only the accomplishments she did, uh, she is the most decorated Latina actress uh, being an EGA recipient, but to see, to hear her journey, uh, to hear everything she had to encounter, um, not only being raised in a very much segregated um, area up in New York, but also to come to Hollywood and continue to experience that discrimination, that sexism, that racism was difficult to listen to, um, especially some of the sexual harassment and, 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 and abuse that, that she encountered uh, while working in Hollywood was very... Oh, it, it was also <laughs> quite painful to yeah. to listen to, um, but man, what, what what a badass, what a fearless yeah. woman, and she's still going. She never gave up. She she fought through so much. She's survived, and she's man, what an inspiration. Certainly, um, a documentary that I love. I love to pieces. Uh, for the po- my other podcast, Latinx Lens, we did an episode just on her. Um, highlighting a few of her movies, of course, including West Side Story. And I had read her memoir um, in preparation for, for, for that episode. So a lot of what was in this documentary, I had already known. Um, it's just except the, the ending uh, about her, um, the one day at a time thing. And, 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 and that thing, it was that just what was, can, what can I say, new? 
mm-hmm. because I, I am so in love with her that I already read her memoir and I know whatever she <laughs> she wanted us to know about her and everything. So in that sense, probably that's why it's a little bit more lower on my list uh, because it was it was nothing nuanced to me. I had already known everything that I did. In fact, mm-hmm. the book has a little bit more details um, in terms of her experiences in, in Hollywood. And to to see her having and being forced in some way um, depict all these stereotypical roles, not because Mm -hmm. she wanted to, because she had to. She had to eat. She had to survive. And we always, when we talk about representation and and we talk about stop uh, representing us in in stereotypical roles, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to dive into in Son of Monarchs, um, but yeah, she still did it. But in, in that sense, it's either you do it or you literally starve yeah. <laughs> or you have nowhere to live. And the fact that she was able to portray these stereotypical roles did open up in an in a, in a ironic way. It did open up more roles. It did open up the opportunities for a lot of Latinas uh, that came after her. So in that sense, man, it's just I'm glad that this documentary exists. Um a celebration of such a living legend, a survivor, a trailblazer, and quite frankly, one of my favorite actors of all time because she's yeah. just extraordinary. Hands down. Yeah, she's just <laughs> incredible. Yes. She's such a badass. I love her. <laughs> all right. So what is your your number? Where am I? Four? Four. So yeah. this is one that we have also already talked about, but it was because you didn't like it. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> the world okay. to come. Yeah. I really, yeah, um, really enjoyed it. I found it unlike, because I, I feel like every year we tend to have a queer woman um, film that is you know a period piece you know something like mm, what was that one that came out this year with uh Kate Winslet and uh mm, um, Ammonite 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 yes mm-hmm. didn't see it but I mean we have that we have Portrait of a Lady on Fire um I felt that it could have fallen into the Ammonite kind of um pitfall which is it's not very nuanced it's not very interesting and um Mona Fastfold kind of gave us these two very dynamic women where you have Catherine Waterston who I don't think gets enough lead work um she tends to be relegated to you know a friend a sidekick a love interest Mm -hmm. and we really got to follow her and then Vanessa Kirby is just dynamite in it. Like you can sit there and just be like, yeah, no, I totally understand why you would want to be friends with her or why you would fall in love with her. Like she just is very engaging. I thought that some of the themes were really, um, fe- you know, feministic. And mm-hmm. um, in the Q and A, I really appreciated um, Catherine Watterson. Um, someone talked about the ending and kind of framed it as like a complaint which I'm like I get it but also you know make sure that your complaint is a little bit more 
um, thoughtful, especially when you're asking people who made a film, like, why would you let a film end this way? And um, she had a very thoughtful answer about, you know, queer people during this time are kind of lost to history because of the protections that they had to do. Um, yeah. And then on top of it, the, and this isn't really a surprise because it's kind of in the trailer, but you do see some instances of domestic violence that happened and how that was so commonplace. And we don't even know the extent of how commonplace that was because no one cared to document women's experiences with domestic violence. Like it is still such, um, domestic violence is something that certainly has a, a lot of challenges to it and a lot of stigma against for people who are experiencing it or have survived it. So just compound the fact that it's over 150 years ago on top of something that's stigmatized in 2020. And um, so I really appreciated that. And I also got a screener beforehand. So I got to watch it more than once, which was also helpful, but I really enjoyed it. That's the last I will say about the world to come. <laughs> what is your number four? Yes, uh, my number four is a film that uh, left me struck. It, it left me, it impacted me on so many levels, mentally, psychologically, emotionally. And that is mass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, oh my, that film. I so so yeah it follows a, a pair of parents um it literally it takes place just in one room uh, and you have two pair of parents one of them who are the parents of the victim of the mass shooting and then the second pair are the parents of the mass shooter and it, it starts very of course, obviously, it's going to start a bit awkward when they first meet and they, they, they try to get acquainted uh, so they can have these conversations and they, and they can get um, just to talk, uh, talk. And, and, and finally, um, like the purpose, in my opinion, uh, the purpose is to talk things out and finally uh, be able to find closure and be able to move on and, and continue to live uh, with, with both of their losses. It's certainly a movie that addresses a heavy topic uh, like mass shooting uh, in schools. And I think this film wouldn't have had the same impact if it would not have been acted the way it was. These four actors just run away with this film. And I know a lot of people aren't uh, get a bit annoyed when, when I say this, but it's certainly awards worthy performances mm -hmm. from all four of them. Um, which of course a, a movie is, it's uh, a collaboration of, of acting and, and the writing, the writing, oh man, that script. It, it was just a combination of everything. And I think it did impacted me a little bit more considering I have four daughters and I just couldn't place myself into neither one of their shoes just the bare thought of just thinking about it it's it's just unimaginable uh, to yeah. me so to sit there and witness the, witness this and have each each character um display grief and rage and pain 
and so many a cocktail of emotions was just heartbreaking and man I, I i'm serious when when i those credits started to roll i was just sitting in front of the tv literally just motionless i was in complete shock i didn't know what to do uh it, it was very 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 much impactful and yeah. it's it certainly i hope i don't know if it's been bad or not again <laughs> i don't keep up with a lot of that uh, info and it's a film that it's gonna I'm pretty sure it's gonna trigger a lot of people uh, particularly parents um, particularly parents that have unfortunately uh, experienced this mm-hmm. and it's gonna bring to conversation uh, the very uh, politics behind all of this um, gun laws and, and and all that good stuff yeah. so it, it's certainly a movie that uh, very impactful powerful and I highly recommend watching it. I know it's not one of those films that uh, will be those of, that will benefit from repeat viewings. Um, but it's certainly one that's worth noting, uh, at least to consider different perspectives. Because uh, to be honest, um, after everything that, that's happened and all these shootings that you get to, uh, that unfortunately we always uh, know about we always think about the victims, rightfully mm-hmm. so. Uh, this film, however, gives a little spotlight to the shooter's parents and the family and what they have to encounter and what they have to go through um, after one of these yeah. unfortunate events. So it's certainly one that puts perspectives uh, into consideration. It doesn't necessarily tell you to sympathize with any one of them um, or anything like that, but it does put it does it's a thought-provoking film yeah absolutely so, I watched did it you get at, to watch it okay I did um watched it at seven o'clock in the morning and I was Ooh. like thanks a lot Matt uh from next next picture from talking yeah. this film up yeah because I got to be devastated so early in the day yeah um but yeah I mean the acting was incredible um I think my major criticism was is we had the room to use and it wasn't utilized for a really long time because um, we are in one setting. And so like, it's really tricky to try to captivate people. And especially with like the awkward conversation and stuff, if we were able to have a little bit more movement before hunkering down, I think that would have added a little bit more to the film. But like outside of that, I feel like that's a very, very, very minor criticism of Mm -hmm. a very 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 good movie yeah 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 I can see that um I I didn't have any any issues uh, with that I I think that that the lack of movement and just focusing on on these four characters was certainly um crucial to build up that tension Mm -hmm. and added it's an additional layer to that environment and add to the awkwardness of it um but yeah no i i can see where you're coming from in, in respect to that yeah yeah but yeah it was a pretty didn't quite make my top 10 but it certainly was that echoed this sentiment of when it hopefully gets acquired that people do go and see it right All right, so that was my number four. What's your number three? 
My number three is the documentary film, Try Harder. Um, it follows five students at Lowell High School in San Francisco as they all attempt to get into college. And it really just highlights the incredible pressure that the current generation is under to get into school, um, to get into any kind of college. And then on top of it, most of the students that are highlighted in the film are um, Asian. So they also have added prejudices against them because uh, college admissions really looks down negatively on them, sees them as very one-dimensional, um, just like grade and AP class juggernauts mm -hmm. and doesn't really look at them as well-rounded people, which the film really shows you that they are very well-rounded people. And um, it's directed by Debbie Lum, so also another female filmmaker. And um, it, yeah, I was rooting for those kids so dang hard. <laughs> um, every triumph, every, you know, obstacle that they were faced with, I just felt with them and for them. And um, yeah, it was a really great documentary. So I hope that people will get to see it sometime soon so that you can kind of fall in love with these kids and much like what you had to say with homeroom if this is where or if these are the hands that are going to be you know taking charge soon yeah. I don't have any problems with that like these are pretty incredible people um, that I look forward to having them make changes for our future so yeah Nice. Um, yeah, I didn't get the opportunity to watch this documentary, but sounds extraordinary. Certainly, yeah. certainly I do get the chance to watch it. Yeah, love kids. They, yes. were, so, they were so sweet. Mm. <laughs> yes, of course. What is your number three? Yes, uh, my number three is perhaps a film that everybody uh, probably knows, have heard at least once. <laughs> and it was uh, a last minute entry to the lineup of Sundance. Uh, and it's Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I had not seen it prior to Sundance. So it's making my list uh, because I watched it um, during the festival. And man, uh, it's being critically acclaimed. Everybody is loving it. And I add myself to, to that group of people. Um, so, I mean, everybody knows it, it, the, the film follows Sherman of Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers, uh, Fred Hampton, and um, who demanded all power to the people in spite of movement of solidarity. So, of course, this is something that the FBI uh, would consider a threat. So they somehow negotiate, um, not somehow, uh, there's something <laughs> behind it. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil much uh, with uh, William O'Neill uh, to infiltrate the party. And as we all know, what happens at the end. And it's a movie that I very much appreciated for uh, some of the criticism it's getting. Which is, which is the different perspectives and the different lenses that this film is being told from. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the criticisms I've been hearing is that if they would have focused just on one perspective on one lens, it would probably would have been better. 
Um, I would argue that the fact that it doesn't necessarily come through through one particular lens, through one perspective, adds that complexity to the rest of the characters. Um, where particularly like with the with the Fred Hampton character, of course, and the William O'Neill character. And then also at some point the, the Jesse Plemons character as well, where it doesn't necessarily make the audience sympathize uh, with the police officers, but it does give it that bit of complexity and in terms of, okay, is this man in the police department or, or law enforcement doing this out of malicious intent or he's just doing it because it's part of the job. And having those various uh, viewpoints certainly gives you a different perspective into the, the whole events. Um, and again, I, I can't talk enough about these uh, these performances. All the performances are great. Um, some are getting awards worthy recognition. And overall, it's a film I thoroughly enjoy, uh, a story I was not familiarized with, and a movie that it's going to be coming out soon. So hopefully everybody else gets to watch it. But yes, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, it's my number three. That's perfect, because that's my number two. Perfect. Um, really enjoyed it. Really just want to echo some of the things that you said, those performances. Um, Daniel Kaluuya is getting a lot of awards buzz and rightfully so. He, justice for him and widows. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, just his, he gives a speech where he says, I am a revolutionary and I, felt that deep in my bones it was just so incredible but then also added so much complexity to Fred Hampton because so much of who we saw chairman Fred Hampton was through white lenses Mm -hmm. and this film really did justice to you know he could get in front of a crowd and rouse people get the community together and then privately he was a bit more shy privately he you know had different layers to his personality um Lakeith Stanfield was fantastic I think he added some layers to William O'Neill that um made you understand that this isn't like good people versus bad people kind of thing that this is black people versus systemic racism that he very much was victimized by the system as Fred Hampton was and he just has the blood on his hands at the end of the day so um he I he did an incredible job Shaka King why isn't he being included in awards conversations I don't know Um, I thought that he was incredible. The cinematography was incredible. The script was incredible. And Dominique Fishback, I don't think we talked enough about her performance, Um, but she also just, there were a few scenes with her that just got me right in the feels. She just was so incredible. So yeah, that's my number two, Judas and the Black Messiah. It should be on HBO Max for a month um, yes and in theaters during the same time 
Yes. So uh, my number two is one we recently spoke about. And my number one and number two are separated by like inch of a hair or half a hair, to be honest. Um, I had a really hard time um, choosing (laughs) which was my number one, which was my number two. Uh, But my number two is Son of Monarchs. Uh, Man, that film. I remember tweeting that I had just watched a film that I couldn't talk about and it blew my entire existence away. Uh, this was the movie I was talking about. Uh, the, the representation in the film certainly spoke volumes to me. Uh, the incorporation of the monarch butterfly, the cultural significance of the butterfly uh, with the Mexican uh, culture. And I think what blew me the most away was the science, <laughs> the science incorporation, the genetics, um, evolution, biology, to have all of those different elements, so many different fields of sciences incorporated into this movie, um, which at the end of the day, in my case, science is part of my culture. So mm-hmm. to see it unfold on the movie oh my god just talking about it my face hurts from smiling so much because it's the representation I had never seen I had never seen myself represented so accurately as I did with this film um and having that dual cultural in in terms of living here in the United States working in a scientific uh in a field like science I work uh full-time as an electron microscopist pretty much just looking at microscope and looking at tissue under the microscope every single day. So to see that accurately depicted in this film means a lot to me. It it means the world to me. And to see uh, the, the, the symbolism and see that the metaphor of a butterfly uh, with migration and immigration, a, a butterfly that does migrate to three different countries, but it does it so freely and compare it over to uh, humans and everything we have to go through to go to different countries and, and so on and so forth was again. Oh, fascinating. I can talk about this film forever. <laughs> um, but also, I think one of the criticisms that I'm hearing about this movie, it's the pace. Uh, a lot of people are, are having issue with it, it was too slow for them. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, as, as a scientist, the pace is also a metaphor for evolution. Uh, evolution, metamorphosis is something that does not happen uh, quickly. It, mm-hmm. it certainly takes its own time and it does whenever it's ready. Man, there's so many elements that I can just highlight and talk about the 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 tattoo oh my god that tattoo yeah oh I did not see that coming yeah so good I so one thing that I will add because I've already talked about it is Mm -hmm. um I tend to be in the camp that films are too long Mm -hmm. typically but this one really felt like you needed to take that time because you watched him go through his metamorphosis you watched him come to terms with many different aspects of his life and you can't just do that in you know a clean 85 minutes like some of these films were aiming for so um as someone who is part of the these films are too damn long camp I will say that Son of Monarchs was not too long right yeah, no, I didn't think it was long. I thought it was perfect. Uh, mm. I, I thought it was just beautifully shot. It's 
visually gorgeous and to see uh, the images under the microscope to be depicted with such accuracy uh, again it, it means a lot and of course it's the representation that gets yeah. me the most um, I've been advocating for representation but particularly Latino representation um, in film nothing wrong with being depicted as an inmate because there are Latinos that are inmate nothing wrong with being depicted as the housekeeper the nanny uh, a landscaper but I always did say, hey, there's also doctors, there's lawyers, yeah. there's politicians, there's civil activists, there's scientists. And this film certainly depicts it so well. And to mm-hmm. see somebody like Tenoch Huerta, who looks just like me in terms of skin color, in terms of just like personality and, and family oriented, and just to see it on screen. Oh, man. I'm currently halfway writing a review on this film and I hope they they get to read it because they have no idea (laughs) the impact and how much I appreciate this film. Well, Alexis Gambus, I will say he's actually a scientist. That's why he was very particular about the um, science pieces. And um, And you can tell so much that he's a doctor. (laughs) You can tell so much. Um, So, I mean... For other fun things listen to my conversation with Alejandro Mejia because he I already really loved the film but then he was like let me just tell you these very small details that we did that just add even more layers to this already complex and gorgeous film um, which is another podcast episode you can check out but yeah um, yeah it's a movie I'm going to be championing forever and yes. I hope it gets picked up and if it doesn't, uh, I don't know. I'll try to do something. <laughs> it's we'll just a movie signs. that speaks. We'll make some yeah. signs. Yes. We'll start a petition. Yes, I will do whatever necessary. But it needs to get picked up. <laughs> yes, agree. <laughs> okay, so moment of truth. Morgan, your so, favorite film from Sundance. I have been talking about this film so much. Um, it is a documentary film called Bring Your Own Brigade. Oh, it is by the documentary filmmaker Lucy Walker, which she directed a short documentary called The Lion's Mouth Opens um, several years ago. Which actually might be more than just several years ago, but time is doesn't exist anymore. Um, that moved me to my core. So I didn't know too much about the film going into it just because I will literally, if Lucy Walker wants to just direct paint drying I will watch it because she's such she understands how to tell a story she understands how to investigate a story um how to let things unfold naturally so like I'll watch anything that she does and bring your own brigade I was one of those films that I like had a visceral reaction to and the film starts off with Um, November 8th, 2018, there were four wildfires in the state of California, two extremely significant ones, um, one called the Campfire up in outside of Paradise, California, and the other was the Woolsey Fire in Malibu. Um, And so the film literally starts with just documenting these wildfires Um, it wasn't planned that they were going to document 
two extremely intense wildfires, but it just so happened that she and her team were shadowing uh, a firefighter who works for the state Mm -hmm. um, and four wildfires broke out. Um, California is experiencing longer fire seasons and more intense fire seasons. And so that's kind of what Lucy was looking into was why is this happening? Because she comes from the UK and, you know, as a Brit, they don't have wildfires the same way as the West, uh, West Coast and West America have. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, she saw the campfire up in Northern California, and it is some of the most harrowing and like heart stopping footage that you will see because you're seeing people have to attempt to escape a fire that is traveling at one and one third football fields in a minute. Mm. And it, I mean, it just gives you goosebumps thinking about it. And then on the flip side, you see what's happening in Malibu on the exact same day where another wildfire is ripping through that community. Um, She went into the film assuming that this was just going to be her documentary about climate change and what we need to do to address climate change. Mm -hmm. And it exposed that climate change is just a small piece of this extremely broken puzzle. And so much of it is about infrastructure, about land management, about understanding, you know, native rituals, um, understanding how fire suppression isn't necessarily the best way to fight fires, that fire evil people good is not necessarily fixing the problem, it's just exacerbating it. And there is so much information in this documentary film. There's so much tackled in it. And it just, I mean, between the footage of the wildfires that just erupted out of nowhere to her attempts of, you know, really trying to not only say like, here are the problems, but here are solutions for us was really impressive. So I can't stop talking about this film. I will talk about it an annoying amount of times, the same as I do about Lady Bird or Fleabag. Like, it's just going to be on my rotation of I'm going to annoy people until they start watching this because it is one of the best documentary films I've seen, but it's also just one of the best films I've ever seen. So that's my number one. Wow. Um, Certainly a movie I did not catch uh, at Sundance, but as a California native and Mm -hmm. as somebody who's lived through several wildfires here, um, it sounds very, very intriguing. Uh, Something I certainly have to watch, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been tough. It's tough. It's hard uh, to live in an area that's so, um, just predisposed to all these yeah. wildfires and and it's it's come to a point where it's like just another just so ordinary in a sense that that we we listen or we read in the news or we listen to the news and they say oh it's another wildfire oh 
like, okay, yeah, whatever. Well, I drank some water today. It's so mm-hmm. ordinary to us, yeah. unfortunately. And it shouldn't have to be that way. In terms of an, like ecosystem and bio, biology and such, I, I know fires are normal in, in a sense. But to have it this frequent is certainly a sign of global warming and, and something, something needs to be done. Yeah. So, yes, it's certainly a movie that... It's definitely intrigued me, so I'll make sure to put it on my list. Yeah, can't recommend it enough. So, moment of truth for you, though, Rosa. Yes. What is your number one film? My number one film of Sundance 2021, <laughs> not building suspense here, is a documentary, of course, uh, that would have very much benefited from a um, the in-theater experience and it was i believe i watched it on the first day also i watched it in its premiere and that is summer of soul (laughs) summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised oh my this documentary was just mind-boggling to see that this festival um, in the 1960s, the Harlem uh, Cultural Festival. It was filmed and then you see all this archival footage was, which is so <laughs> crisp and so uh, visually appealing. And it, it's unbelievable <laughs> to, to learn that it was in the basement for 50 years. Um, it was literally stored away for decades um, until now until now that they decided uh, to make this documentary and showcase uh, what happened in this festival. And man, the, the lineup in that, in that festival, it just top notch. And the documentary, of course, interviews some of the attendees uh, that were at the festival, as well as some of the musicians uh, that were there too. And I mean, come on, B.B. King, Stevie Wonder, uh, Nina Simone, th- there was just, even Jesse Jackson comes out there uh, making a speech and, and so on and so forth. And the importance uh, of this festival uh, to its community uh, in the city and even highlight a few, um, how it also incorporated some um, Afro-Latinos in there, which I very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. And, but I think what blew my mind away was seeing that Stevie Wonder drum solo. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this man, wow. I was just like, just mind blown uh, by, by everything, all the performances. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that this, all this footage was put away for so long. And of course it, it was put away for a reason, you know, <laughs> in a sense, it was trying to either um, literally not have this history being told and, and so on and so forth. So, and, and to see the historical, social, political events that were ongoing as the festival was um, underway, like the moon landing and, and their respond and their perspective on it was an interesting one. One I, I had actually never thought about, um, although it's a logical one <laughs> for a minority uh, community, um, like I'm also part of one, but it's something that it would never have um, come to my mind so Mm -hmm. for its cultural significance for the fact that it has its footage that has not been seen in over 50 years and for what it represents in not only music history but socially and politically uh, to this community of Harlem uh, yeah Summer of Soul is easily my my number uh, favorite film of, of Sundance 2021 and I have zero doubts 
that if we had seen this inside a theater filled audience, man, people would have been jamming, dancing, clapping, everything, you name it. And it would have been one of the most memorable experiences ever. Oh, yeah. I also saw that on opening night. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, my top 10 is just based on my heart, not so much on the technical aspect, but like Mm -hmm. Summer of Soul, Questlove basically crafted a perfect film. Like it's just it's not just the footage that he added it was the interviews with some of the acts and concert goers it was providing us with historical context not from a white lens like I think one of the things that struck me the most was you know I grew up thinking about you know how the man going onto the moon was the biggest event and everyone loved it meanwhile Black America was like, okay, yeah, that's great and all, but like, mm, there's still poverty, there are still drugs, there's still underfunding of social benefits. Um, what about those things? Because yeah. glad some couple of white guys got to go on the moon, but we're down here and should probably think about people here. Um, exactly. So like that was really eye-opening. But yeah, if we could all watch it in a theater, I think that that would probably be one of the most amazing theatrical experiences yeah yeah that was the movie that I was like okay this would have so much benefited from the audience and just oh yes it would have been just amazing and yeah since I watched it it, it's just left an everlasting impact on me so yeah yeah that's my favorite film of Sunday well people will get to watch it I think it was just acquired by Hulu yes I think so yeah so shout out to Hulu for getting so many great independent films and for taking this film from Sundance so that more people can witness its brilliance. Yes. Um, so yes, those, those, those are our favorite films from Sundance Film Festival. Do you have any last thoughts on the festival or maybe some honorable mentions on like quick honorable mentions on films that just barely missed your list or yeah um, just a couple I, w- I would say wild indian was one that just didn't quite make my list it was Ooh, a really yes. solid film um make sure that you're talking with finding native critics who are able to go to sundance and you know listening to what they're saying about the film because um you know it was written and directed by um a native director and we don't see that very often. Right. And then just another one that I wanted to add was On the Count of Three. Um, I think Christopher Abbott was like incredible in that film. And it really, his performance is what captivated me that whole time. And so I just want to shout it out just for Christopher Abbott because he's he's just been on a roll for me between The World to Come and Black Bear. Um, on the Count of Three, we got to see a whole lot more of him. Yes, yes. I'm glad you you brought that one up. I got a chance to watch it. I wasn't particularly fond of it as much as other people, but what I was fond of was his performance. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was phenomenal in that film. Yeah, that's that was like the saving grace of that film was Christopher Abbott. What about you? Any quick honorable um, mentions? Quick honorable mentions here. One that it was literally my number eleven. Uh, Flea. Oh man. Oh yeah. Uh, that is strong, strong, strong entry. Certainly a solid film. I think it did get picked up, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
It is certainly a movie that I thoroughly enjoy and to see uh, the animated and, and live action <laughs> incorporation and to use the animation uh, and in form of like to be anonymous and, and not uh, give the identity away of the person who did experience this is certainly mm-hmm. and, and it opened my eyes again It opened my eyes because we we tend to be very, um, especially here in the U.S., very selfish and, and oh, yeah. selfish in the sense that we don't necessarily uh, open our not open ourselves, but we tend not to know a lot about what happens worldwide and yeah. to see um, people fleeing refugees and to see their immigration stories and not necessarily associated with the one at the south of the border from us here in the U.S. It's something that it opens my eyes to, you know what? This is happening in other places around the world. Yeah. And I, I think it was very smartly done. It's just a powerful story uh, that it deserves to be uh, deserves to be seen. And then another film, um, two more films, uh, th- another documentary, the Edgar Wright documentary, the Spark, uh, Sparks Brothers uh, movie, uh, a, a, musician, a musical group. I had no idea who they were. Um, Edgar Wright should certainly consider doing more documentaries because even though it was two hours and a half, uh, long it certainly went by so quick and the the integration of certain animated um, sequences and then uh, to see what this group um, had done uh, at their time and to learn that they they're from California <laughs> Cali natives uh, was certainly something um, interesting that I highly recommend people seeing and then last one is playing with sharks uh playing with sharks was a documentary that again opened my eyes to uh this fascinated woman who has done so much and is certainly a movie i highly recommend watching fearless uh it uses a lot of footage from the 50s and the 60s that again i'm, I'm so fascinated by a lot of the footage that takes place uh a few days de- that was taken a few decades back and to see how crisp it looks and how um just wonderful it looks on camera so certainly playing with sharks was was certainly a movie that also uh, was one I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed awesome those last two i did not get to see so i will put oh, them no. on my list yes. Yes, highly recommend them. The ever-growing list. Right? (laughs) Ever-growing list. Well, Morgan, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I know it's a pretty lengthy episode, but you know what? Oh, it's one week worth of films. I mean, I watched 33. You watched a little bit. What was it? 25? 25. Yeah. The shorts. Didn't even talk about the shorts. Yeah, that didn't even get to Another time, there were so many shorts. I will say, I saw some things that I will never be able to unsee in some of those shorts, but there were a couple that were truly tremendous. I just want to shout out Dear Philadelphia, beautiful film, um, really a great little documentary Mm -hmm. short. And Raspberry was a seven minute long film that was the most captivating seven minutes. I've ever seen. So shout out to those two films. Nice. Morgan, thank you so much. No, uh, thanks thank so you much, Rosa. for all your work, all your coverage over at Sundance, everything you're doing for the league, written, everything you're doing behind the scenes. Nobody sees it, but we do. And we greatly, greatly appreciate everything well, you've been doing. I appreciate so everything you. that you do for me and all the opportunities you give me. So it's literally the least I can do. <laughs>
Thank you. It's very kind of you. So yes, that, that's going to do it all for us today. Um, make sure you are following. Oh, wait, no. Where can people find you on, on social media? Oh, Maria. they can just find me over at, at MSML Roberts. And um, also sometimes I'm tweeting at their league for everyone. That's where all those articles go up. Yes, yes. Um, yes, make sure you, you are following us over at their league. Make sure you're following our podcast uh, in their own league. And then also on, I think we're on Instagram and Twitter at their league. You can follow me, uh, Rosa, at Rosa's Reviews. And yes, make sure to um, like and share and comment any feedback you guys have for us. We, we greatly appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for listening. Um, and as always, stay safe and take care.